is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It is Thursday, the 18th day of January, 2024. Hope you're having a great week so far. It's almost over. Woke up uh, pleasantly surprised when I flipped on the outside light that we did not have (laughs) much snow overnight. Um... After yesterday, when it snowed all day, um, but it uh, it did not undo our shoveling efforts too terribly much uh, overnight. So we're not buried hip deep in snow. Um, at least the driveway isn't. We got the driveway cleared off, and we got the cars cleared off, and all of that yesterday afternoon. And uh, but it was we had a lot of snow yesterday. Um, it, it sure looks like uh, canceling youth group on Wednesday night was the good good decision to make. Um, just to keep everybody safe, nobody needed to be out on the roads last night at all. But uh, yeah, it's looking pretty good this morning. You're not supposed to snow today, uh, looking at the weather. It's 10 degrees, we're above zero. The uh, faucets in the master bathroom are once again working, and it does not appear that the frozen pipe ruptured anything. There doesn't appear to be any kind of leak under the house, which makes me very happy that I did not have to call a plumber to come out and replace some pipes. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we've got, you know, those were, that was the only sink... The sink in the master bathroom was the only thing that, that froze up in that uh, 30 below cold snap we had. Um, and uh, that was really my fault for not leaving that faucet running. Um, the rest of the house was fine. And, and that sink is now running again. So we are, we, we, we made it through. <laughs> we made it through. Which makes me happy. Let me check real quick what our weather is for today just to see what the weather app says. It says it's currently 15 degrees. I said it was closer to 10 on the front porch. Mostly cloudy today. Supposed to get some more snow tomorrow. High today is supposed to be 15, so we're we're pretty much there for the day. Um, it's not going to warm up much, but we're looking at snow on Friday and rain and temperatures in the 40s over the weekend. So it looks like it's going to warm back up. It looks like yeah, we're we're above freezing all next week. Uh, Saturday high of 41, Sunday high of 42. 39 on Monday, 44 on Tuesday, 39 Wednesday and Thursday, 42 on Friday, and 44 on Saturday. Um, That's the prediction for the next week. And, of course, you know, anything, it's it's Thursday, so anything really past Sunday or Monday is a guess. Um, One of my objections to the whole global warming climate change hoax um, speaking of which, <laughs> the, uh, let me pull that, my little footstool was up against the desk, so if you heard metal grinding, that was, that was it. Um, the, uh, annual gathering of Bond villains is going on in Davos, Switzerland right now, um, as the World Economic Forum has their annual meeting. Um, a bunch of rich people thinking they can run the world. And they want to, and they're having an effect and need to be opposed. Yeah, they are a menace to society and must be opposed. All right. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, 
and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter and Facebook and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Coming up today, we got our scripture readings from the Legacy Standard Bible. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Thursday, so we've got Theology Thursday. We are in Chapter 19 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith of the Law of God. And today we are looking at Paragraph Three, So that is what is lined up ahead of us as we begin this busy broadcast day. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we, be, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your Holy Word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, our Scripture reading today is Genesis 27 and Psalm 27. Genesis 27 and Psalm 27. Genesis chapter 27. Now it happened that when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold now, I am old. And I do not know the day of my death. So now please take up your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening while Isaac was speaking to his son Esau. Esau. Then Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring to Isaac. But Rebekah spoke to Excuse me, But Rebekah spoke to her son Jacob, saying, Behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of Yahweh before my death. So now, my son, listen to my voice as I command you. Go now to the flock and get for me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Then Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and then I will be as a mocker in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only listen to my voice, and go get them for me. So he went and got them, and brought them to his mother. And his mother made a savory dish, such as, her fa such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and she put them on Jacob, her younger son. 
Then she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory dish and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Rise up, please. Sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Then Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because Yahweh your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came near to his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it near me, and I will eat of my son's game, that my soul may bless you. And he brought it near him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father, said to, his father Isaac said to him, Please come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments. And then he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which Yahweh has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made a savory dish and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Indeed, he shall be blessed. As Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his fellow brothers I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you, what then, what can, as for you then what can I do, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your habitation, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brothers you shall serve, and it shall be when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Then the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to my voice. And arise, flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's wrath subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife, from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life what good will my life be to me? Now Psalm twenty seven.
of David. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the strong defense of my light. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fall. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in this I trust. One thing I have asked from Yahweh, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Yahweh, and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of calamity he will conceal me in his shelter. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with loud shouts of joy. I will sing, and I will sing praises to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, when I call with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. On your behalf my heart says, Seek my face. Your face, O Yahweh, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your slave away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me and do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me up. Instruct me in your way, O Yahweh, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not give me over to the desires of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and such, a, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Hope in Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Hope in Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. Now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. Today's devotional is Wrong Judgment, an Erroneous View of God. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, Matthew 7, 1. Dr. MacArthur writes, Believers are not to make unrighteous and unmerciful judgments on others because it manifests a wrong view of God. With the phrase, so that you will not be judged, Jesus reminds the scribes and Pharisees that they are not the final court. To judge another person's motives or to stand in the place of condemnation is to play God, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, John 5.22. During the millennial kingdom, Christ will share some of that judgment with us, Matthew 19.28. But until that time, we blaspheme God whenever we take the role of judge on ourselves. Who are you to judge the servant of another, asked Paul. To his own master he stands or falls, Romans 14.4. Paul was little concerned about how other people judged him, nor was he concerned about how he judged himself. I am conscious of nothing against myself, he says, Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4. Except as they may be continually teaching false doctrine or following standards that are clearly unscriptural, we are never to judge a person's ministry, teaching, or life, and certainly not his motives by some self-styled standard. Whenever we assign people to condemnation without mercy, we pass judgment that only God is qualified to make. Our Lord does not call for men to cease to be examined and discerning, but to renounce the presumptuous temptation to try to be God. Ask yourself, why is the desire to judge and size up such an alluring appetite of ours? What does our tendency to enjoy it tell us about ourselves? What would need to occur inside before we saw an increased resistance to practice it? And I'm going to answer this one. Normally I don't answer these questions here on the podcast, but I, I need to point this out. Why is the desire to judge and size up such an alluring appetite of ours? Because we are proud. We are puffed up. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. 
What does this tendency to enjoy it tell us about ourselves? We're prideful. And what would need to occur inside before we saw an increased resistance to practicing it? And that is humility. That is, is bowing ourselves before God, looking, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. So, good words this morning from Dr. MacArthur. All right, we are in the chapter 19 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith here on Theology Thursday. We did paragraphs 1 and 2 last week, and we will do paragraph 3 this morning. Um, the, the chapter is entitled, Of the Law of God. It contains seven paragraphs. I will read the first two, and then we will break down paragraph 3. Paragraph 1. God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart, and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by which he bound him and all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience, promised life upon the fulfilling and threatened death upon the breach of it, and endued him with power and ability to keep it. Paragraph 2. That same law that was first written in the heart of man continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness after the fall and was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in Ten Commandments and written on two tables, the four first containing our duty towards God and the other six our duty to man. Paragraph 3, which is where we are going to spend our time this morning. Besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, preconfiguring Christ, his grace, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instruction of moral duties, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of Reformation are, by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only lawgiver, who was furnished with power from the Father, for that end, abrogated and taken away. This is an important paragraph in our understanding of the law. Now, one thing it, it gives us here is the fact that there are um, the moral law. This, this gives us the tripartite division of the law. Now, there are some that dispute this, that, that the law was not divided into three parts and nowhere in the in the scripture, is it divided into three parts? And in a very real sense, it is the entire law that is done away with at the cross. Because we are no longer under the law, we are under grace. And as James says, to, to fail in one part of the law is to fail in the entire law. So if you eat an unclean animal, you know, you have failed the entire law of Moses. Yet, we also know that God allows us to eat whatever. I mean, he had that discussion with Peter, right? Don't call unclean what I have made clean. And Jesus, even in his time on earth, said, it's not what enters into a man that defiles him. Because food enters into the mouth, goes through the stomach, and is expelled. But it is what comes out of the heart of the man that defiles him. That's the... Uh, paraphrase on my account. So, Jesus himself pointed out that these ceremonial clean and unclean animals, all of that, were not part of God's eternal moral code. Um, no, th and this is an interesting thing that, that I, I pointed out when we went through the Ten Commandments um, back in uh, the early part of our Deuteronomy study. I pointed out that no nation surrounding Israel, none of the other nations of the world, they were all condemned for sexual immorality. They were all condemned for idolatry. They were all condemned for, for being immoral. Yet none of them were condemned for failure to keep the Sabbath because that was between God and Israel. None of them were condemned for eating unclean animals. 
And indeed, as we've looked through Deuteronomy, in some of the, the laws about you, you shouldn't eat an animal that just dies, but it's okay for the foreigner. You see, it, it only applied to Israel. And so the, the, the law made at Mount Sinai only applied to Israel and to those who became Israelites, proselytes. And that entire law, fulfilled by Jesus, he kept it perfectly, was then, you know, it's fulfilled. It's no longer, the, the entire Ten Commandments, the entire law of Moses is not binding in any sense on the Christian. Yet at the same time, it is the absolute moral standard which God has given us. Not all of it, not the you know clean and unclean animals, not the sacrificial system, none, none of that, but, but it is you know the standard of right and wrong. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are to obey that. You know, in the, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So there is still an obligation for obedience. So there is, the, the, the law contains God's perfect moral code. But it also contains ceremonial laws, you know, the, the sacrificial system, how that was all to be taken care of. And it, it contains civil laws regarding the governance of Israel that don't apply to us. You know, we don't, our cities don't have elders sitting in the gates. <laughs> you know, now we do have, you know, city councils sitting in you know, courthouse, you know, uh, county seats or whatever, uh, city hall. Um, and, and, you know, so, uh, there, there are principles that apply, but we're not, you know, we, we don't appeal when, when we disagree with the decisions of the city council, we can't appeal it to the temple and the high priest because we're not Israel. I know it bugs people when I say that, but it's absolutely true. So the law, commonly called moral, in addition to the moral code, which is, you know, the code of right and wrong. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to commit adultery. It, you know, it's wrong to worship someone other than God. All of the things that, that are morally true, you know, in addition to that, God gave to the people of Israel ceremonial laws. So these are the, the, the worship and, and everything that, that Israel had. That's the first clause. So besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, Preconfiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits. So the entire Old Testament worship system, the sacrifices, the temple, the feasts, all of that pointed to the coming perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10.1 For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. The Old Testament sacrificial system, the, the, the worship ordinances of Israel, were insufficient to save. They were always insufficient to save. Their purpose was to point the people to the sufficient Savior. Um, and it was that way by the year, you know, or by the, by the, it was that way from, by purpose from the beginning. There were people who were saved because they had faith in God before the law was given. 
Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That was 400 years before the law, and that was a dozen years even before the ordinance of, of uh, circumcision was given. This is all in Galatians and Romans. So, you know, we have people saved before the law that was given at Sinai, and we have people saved since the law. And the people saved while the law was the active uh, dispensation. <laughs> um, the people that were saved in that time were not saved by the law. They were saved by grace through faith in Christ. Now, they didn't know. They, they, were, they were saved by believing anticipatorily what God had promised to do. They believed the promises of God, not knowing all the details. We believe the promises of God, knowing about the crucifixion and the resurrection, which was knowledge they did not have. But they were saved by believing in God. Excuse me. Oh, man. So, the sacrifices were never able to save. Then Colossians 2.17, things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So again, all of these things pointed to Christ. These are the worship ordinances given to Israel. And partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties. This is... You know, there were, there were things that Israel was told to do that were, you know, symbolic of their own moral duties. What do I mean? One of the proof texts is given here is 1 Corinthians 5, 7, which talks about, it references, excuse me. Oh, I suddenly have that cough again. The moral duties... In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul references the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, you remember the, the symbology. The, the Passover, of course, was the rescuing the Israelites from the final plague upon Egypt, the death of the firstborn, where they would have to, to kill a lamb and put the blood on the lentil and doorposts. And they were to eat the lamb with bitter herbs and with unleavened bread, quote-unquote, the bread of haste, because you didn't take time for it to rise. And then in the observance of the Passover and in, in, in memory of the Passover, throughout per perpetuity, the Israelites were to, again, eat a lamb with bitter herbs, follow the follow the the um, the regulations that, that were given through Moses about how to celebrate the Passover. It was to be done every year. And immediately, immediately upon completion of the Passover, the very next day, begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And for a week, they were to eat unleavened bread. Now, the regulations have a right before the Passover, you would do a serious house cleaning and get all the leaven out of your house. So there would be no no yeast anywhere in the Jewish kitchen prior to the Passover. So that for that entire week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you would consume no leaven. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul refers to that, and he makes a moral application of it. <clears throat> Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you in fact are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, also was sacrificed. So he is using that that ceremonial cleaning and that feast of unleavened bread to show that you having been bought by Christ need to clean up your life, clean out the old leaven, get rid of the sin in your life so that you may be a new lump. He says, 
That's the practical application. Spiritual application is you're already unleavened because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Continuing the next clause, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of Reformation. It's not talking about the Protestant Reformation of 1517. It's talking about the time of the coming of the Messiah. All, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of Reformation are, by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only lawgiver, who was furnished with power from Father, <clears throat> from the Father for that end, abrogated and taken away. Let me see if I can read that again without stumbling. All which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of Reformation are, by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only lawgiver, who was furnished with power from the Father for that end, abrogated and taken away. So, in fulfilling the law and finally providing that perfect sacrifice, you know, living the perfect life we can't live and then dying the death as the perfect sacrifice in our place, the, the law was removed. It was abrogated. You know, it wasn't, you know, the, so that we are, we are now responsible to Christ. We are to be obedient, but that doesn't save us. Of course, it didn't save anybody in the Old Testament either. But the obligations of the law, we don't, we don't offer lambs in the temple. We don't, you know, we're not required to, to circumcise our male child on the eighth day. We're not required to, you know, offer sacrifices and attend to these annual feasts of God in the temple because all of that has been done away with by the coming of Christ. Colossians 2.14 says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He also has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So the law, and it's, because the law is hostile. Um, we don't often think about this, but it's very true that we need to realize the law is hostile to us. And by that, it is the fact that the law condemns us because we can't keep it. So the law has been taken out of the way because having come to recognize our condemnation, we have thrown ourselves at the foot of the cross and cried out to the, to the Messiah to save us from our sin. So the, the certificate of debt, my, my, my breaking of the law has been nailed to the cross with Christ that penalty has been paid. If that penalty has been paid, I no longer have the debt. I'm no longer obligated to the law. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Now, I'm not an antinomian. You know, I do believe that we have moral responsibility before God. Um, it, it does matter how we live our lives. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But the, the code of the law no longer applies. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, because it's been taken away, because it's been nailed to the cross, therefore, no one is to judge you in food and drink. So, you know, unclean food, clean and unclean food no longer apply. Or in respect to a festival or a new moon. So the, the, the festivals in the Old Testament that Israel was to observe by divine command no longer apply. We don't have to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. We don't celebrate you know, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We don't celebrate tabernacles, all of that stuff. No one, you know, now there's nothing wrong with that. If you do celebrate those things, you are free to do so as long as you do it for the glory of God. But you're not required to. 
So no one can judge you. No one can judge you if you do observe these things. No one can judge you if you don't observe these things. You're not required to. You're permitted to. But you gain no moral superiority by doing so. But if you do it for the glory of God in recognition of what he has done for you, then praise God. Do it every year. But if you do not feel obligated to keep it, you're not. Let no one judge you in how you eat or in what you drink or in the festivals you take, you know, observe. Or a new moon. Um, the new moon was the start of every Jewish month. And there were sacrifices that were to be offered at that time. We're not required to do that. Or a Sabbath day. Let no one judge you in regards to a Sabbath day. I have a lot of friends who are Reformed 1689 guys who are absolutely convinced that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath and that it is, it is a, we have a Sabbatarian obligation akin to the, the Old Testament Sabbath law, not and again, this is one of those things that they'll kindle a fire. They'll go on a journey. They don't, they're not strictly Sabbatarian observances even there, but they look at Sunday as being this special day of the week set apart as holy. Um, I don't. And, and I talked about that back when we did the, the uh, Ten Commandments in our Deuteronomy study. So Paul in Colossians says, no one is to judge you in regard to a Sabbath day. If you keep it, keep it. If you don't, don't look down on those who do. If you do, don't look down on those who don't. This is not, you know, as we we're talking about, don't be judging. Don't be, one of the biggest uh, the, the problem with Sabbatarianism, as I see it, um, A, it's not scriptural. B, it lends itself quite heartily to legalism. And the basis of legalism, or the, the motivation for legalism, is pride. I'm better than they are because I do this and they don't. That's the heart of legalism. So keeping the Sabbath day is not required of the Christian. And, and, and no one can point out anywhere in Scripture where the Sabbath day was changed from the seventh day of the week, Saturday, to the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, it is quite clear that the early Christians very soon began worshiping on the first day of the week in commemoration to the resurrection. But at no place in Scripture is the first day of the week ever called the Sabbath. Yeah. The, tenth command, the, the Ten Commandments say, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for in six days the Lord God made the earth and everything in it and rested on the seventh day. The, the seventh day, Saturday, has always been the Jewish Sabbath, and it's not changed. Um, but all of these things, the, the Sabbath, as the writer to the Hebrews points out, the Sabbath rest for us now is resting in the finished work of Christ. We enter into God's rest. He did the work. He saved us, and we get to rest in that. That's Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our rest, not a day of the week. But all of these things, the, the clean and unclean food, teaching personal holiness, the, the festivals and new moons and Sabbaths, teaching obedience and worship, all of these things were only a shadow of what is to come. The substance belongs to Christ. We see this in Ephesians 2, 14, 15, and 16. For he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
is our peace, who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of partitions, as the, the divide between Jew and Gentile, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the law of, of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might create the two into one new man, making peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having in himself put to death the enmity, the hostility, the hostility between man and the law, the hostility between man and God, and the hostility between Jew and Gentile. All done away with, and he did that by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The law was fulfilled in Christ, and the violation of the law was paid in Christ, so that we who come to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, can be forgiven of our sins. That is... That's part and parcel of the gospel. You, you cannot be a gospel-believing Christian and be a legalist at the same time, not with any kind of consistency. You have to understand that Christ fulfilled the law, and Christ, by paying for our penalty of not keeping the law, removed from us the obligation to keep the law. This is how we can go through our life without being crushed by guilt. Because if you, you know, lay before yourself a strict observance of the law, you will break it every microsecond. Because Jesus said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And none of us do that. Ever. Now, we can be truly devoted to God and desiring to please him. Yeah. And we can love God, but we still have that sinful human flesh that we're hanging around with so that we can never get to the 100% perfection the law requires. I can love the Lord my God with most of my heart, most of my soul, most of my mind and most of my strength. I will never be able this in this life to love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. There will be a portion of me that will fall short every time. And that's true of you too. So if you, know, you want to keep strict observance to the law, all you are doing is asking to be crushed by guilt because you can't do it. But the good news, the gospel is, in the person of Jesus Christ, God did it for you. He did what we can't do. Jesus Christ lived that perfect life we can't live. This is, this is why, you know, the, the importance... The, the cross and the paying of our debt is absolutely important. But of equal importance is the fulfilling of the law on our behalf. So, you know, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's the cross. He took the penalty. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We would receive that perfect life in its place. The, the theological distinction is the, the passive obedience of Christ is the cross, where he submitted passively to the punishment. The active obedience of Christ is his fulfillment of the law. And we need both of these things. We really do need both of these things. And the gospel must contain both of these things. That is the good news. So please, if you have not done so, repent and believe the gospel be free from the burden of guilt and sin. Place your faith in Christ. I, I would urge you to do so today. All right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. 
He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Collect for the Second Sunday of Epiphany. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of God's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Colic for Guidance Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this great Thursday, the 18th day of January, as we plug along in this new year. Um, have a great day. Remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.